Okay, welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Um, with me today is a guest I'm really excited about because he has the career that I wish I had. Uh, David Goodwill, who is an amazing novelist. Uh, we'll talk about, about his books, both what he's written and what he's working on. But, but thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Bradley, thank you. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. Too. So we met because David was one of the finalists for the first Gotham Book Prize and, and uh, for your book, Kings County, which I just fucking loved. Um, and I had I had read American uh, Subversives years earlier, just again. And it was like, I didn't even realize the second time that it was the same guy. And I was like, wait, I know this guy's writing. Um, and so you're like, like, I feel like there's more f like f fictional portrayals of people who actually are novelists and can make a living doing it than real life people. And you're doing it. So what what's it like? I mean, how much of it sort of is the stereotype that we have in our heads of what it must be like to be a novelist? And how much is it like it's more like being a CPA than people realize? Um, I think it's both. It's definitely, you know, I walk around New York as a novelist and constantly think I'm like uh living in a cliched version of, of New York sometimes. I mean, uh, uh, the city itself is, is a cliche in so many ways. I, I, both of the books you mentioned, uh, Kings County and American Subversive are very, very New York focused and yes. New York centric. And I get a great deal of energy, both in my life and in my writing from writing about New York and seeing it as a character in my books. Uh, it's, you know, it's not all fun and games. I mean, you have to write the books. You have to, you know, really, you know, they take me years and years. The reason you probably didn't know I wrote both of those books is there's so much time between them. Yeah, um, like seven years, like that. Right? Yeah. yeah, and there's also uh, there's a lot of other things. I think, which I think you can probably relate to a lot. A lot of other things I'm interested in besides writing that helps me with my career as a novelist. I mean, you and I talked about a, a restaurant, restaurant I was yeah. thinking of opening once. Um, I think it was right before COVID. It was right before COVID. My yeah. timing wasn't. <laughs> The reason I come back to writing is my timing. We should and, revisit it sometimes. Uh, yes, uh, isn't so great sometimes. But I just, uh, you know, my life takes different tangents. Um, and uh, writing is what I, I think I'm probably the most talented at, which is why I always come back to it, and what I find the most challenging in a good way. Uh, but um, it's it's a weird way to make a living in this day and age of like 10-minute attention spans. I write literary fiction. They're often 400-page books. And... Um, but that to me is the great challenge. How do you capture readers in this weird age? So in a weird way, you have a lot of balls to say, okay, here's this thing that is incredibly hard to succeed at. Um, and I'm going to make this my job and I'm actually going to do it. But so what's the, is there a personality type for novelists that we don't kind of realize, but that you almost have to have to be able to have the gumption to try in the first place? Absolutely. You just have to be interested in everything. Part of the reason I think that I landed on this and I've been able to sustain it uh, is because I had so many different jobs in my 20s and I tried all of these other things. I did the dot-com boom and bust. Um, you played baseball? I was a professional baseball player. I was badly and briefly. Um, still, I was a private you investigator. Could, you can't be that bad. If you, where where right. did you play? I, well, I was very good in college at Kenyon College, which uh -huh. is Division Three. but I still was the captain of the team. And then I got drafted into the Independent Frontier League, which is uh -huh. single-A baseball in the yeah. Midwest, and didn't last very long and moved to New York City. Uh, my first job in New York was at Kroll Associates, the famous private investigators. I was a yep. private investigator for two years. Did you like uh, that? I loved it, but I, I, you know, and I was the one who was like the shaggy haired kid. Everyone else looked like an FBI agent and was yeah. probably. Uh, so I got to go out and do the undercover stuff and run around the city and follow the You're mob. You're the one guy that didn't look like a cop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was down here actually, right where we are on the Lower East Side, uh, following the mafia and the fashion industry and the old sweatshops. They used to run all the trucking for that. And uh, 
So I, I did that. I was an expert at Sotheby's Auction House. I was their youngest expert. I did all of these things that are exciting jobs, uh, but also at the end of the day, I either wasn't good at them or I wasn't that interested. I didn't want to be a private investigator for my whole life, as glamorous as it sounds. It's not that glamorous. It's mostly Sitting in a work. van 18 hours a day doesn't do it for you. Yeah, okay. exactly. And so a place like Kroll is not following cheating spouses around. It's following right. money around at a very yeah, high level. Yeah, for the listeners who don't know, Kroll, and I think listeners probably do know, Kroll is like one of the highest and most yeah. sophisticated private. And they were bought by someone a couple They were of bought years by a secure, large security yeah, company. Yeah, but, but really impressive. And then ironic, I don't know, ironically, but... Nick Kroll, the comedian and actor. I was is, just about to say, the, the son. The yeah. son of Jules Kroll, the most yeah. famous private investigator in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I just had all of these jobs that uh, leading up to becoming 30 years old, I guess. Uh, and that helps you not regret maybe doing something else. Like I tried tech, I tried finance. So when I became a writer, I was like, okay, I, uh, you know, the, the money is not going to be good. And the, these first years are going to be hard. But I don't regret it because I tried these other things. And uh, that helped me a great deal on my way to a career. Were you, so as, as you're private investigating and, and, you know, hitting 220 and whatever else, are you writing fiction while this is all happening? Uh, no, I was reading everything, but I just didn't. Uh, I, I just I went to Kenyon College, which is this uh, very liberal artsy school in Ohio, a lot like Oberlin and, yep. you know, Vassar and stuff. And I remember going to an English class the first day of school, and there were all these other kids who had gone there because E.L. Doctorow went there or, or, you know, whoever, all these other writers. And I walked in and I was like, all these kids are way smarter than me, and they've all read Ulysses, and they've all done this and that. And I freaked out, and I became a history major, and I never took another English class there. And I was just, I, it took me years and years. I didn't come from an artsy family to get over that. It took me a decade in New York, actually, to realize that, hey, maybe I can, I can do this. And it's, it, it is available to everybody if you yeah. just sit down and start writing. And that's totally what I mean. So I, you know, I, I grew up in New York, but, you know, first generation went to public schools. Uh, and then in college, you had all these kids that went to the, you know, this fancy New York City private schools. And I was in English, I was in the creative writing program. And I'm like, Holy shit, these kids are. And then what I realized is they were better read than me because they just, the English, you know, the English wasn't even the first language in my household, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, um, and uh, and then once for a while, I'm like, you know what? They're kind of like, they're, they're, they're smart and they're erudite, but they're also kind of soft. And so, like, that, it was that anger against them that allowed me to kind of keep propelling through. Very much. And yeah. I felt some of that, too. And I didn't get an MFA for the same reason. I just felt like if I was surrounded by all these super smart kids who are workshopping my work and, uh, like, you know, I, I don't think mentally I was ready to ready for that scene. And also who are probably way smarter than me all sitting around, like, you know, just doing what I want to do. Um, I needed that kind of me against the world situation to actually um, get that chip on my shoulder to actually write my first book. And what also helped was that my first book was a memoir, not a novel. Right. Uh, it was called Seemed Like a Good Idea at the Time. And it was about all of those crazy jobs that I'd had leading up to becoming. How old were you? So I uh, quit Sotheby's or I, I quit the dot com stuff. Uh, well, A, the the. Uh, economy helped yeah, me very it, easily. It quit you. Right, too. It quit yeah. me too. Uh, but B, I, was, I had turned 30 and I was like, I am just, I moved here to be a writer and I haven't written a thing. I've written a couple crappy short stories that I would send off to magazines and not even get a response. But like, it's time to take it seriously or not. And um, I didn't have the, I didn't know how to write a novel yet, a story from scratch, stare at a blank right. page and start from nothing. 
Uh, but I did have these very interesting experiences that by themselves, episodically, are like fascinating chapters. And if I could just figure out the larger arc of a story, I could do it because it was it was like 2005, 2006, and it was the golden age of memoir, where for the first time, you could be a young person uh, and write an interesting true story that was specifically an aspect of a life rather than a full, you know, you don't have to be an ex-president or a celebrity right. and be looking back at age 80 to your, your larger life as an autobiography. You could write about a weekend, a relationship, a... Uh, a, a job, whatever it was, and people were responding to that. It started with, you know, Dave Eggers and yeah. um, uh, Jeanette Walls and, like, these incredible memoirs that that started, you know, becoming really fascinating as a, as a genre on its own. And so I kind of hit that uh, at the right time, but also hit it at the wrong time because mine was the first one out right after James Fry's A Million Little Pieces exploded uh, in a bad way. Yeah. And uh, so there was skepticism. About there was it. skepticism. And I remember all my earlier reviews for seemed like a good idea at the time were about like, is this book true? Like, we're going to fact check this book. And there was a big article in the USA Today, I remember about fact checking my memoir. And thank God I'm the son or son of two lawyers. Uh, I had been so careful about exactly what I had put in, whether it was Crow Associates or uh, uh, Sotheby's that I, you know, it, it ended up it, okay. It but like there, yeah. that did, uh, that did give the memoir world a bit of a all setback. Right, so how do you, okay, so you're Sotheby's.com, Kroll, baseball, and then you just, okay, clearly you have some, you have talent, you have self-confidence, you're here, but then like, how do you then, what, how did you get, how did you get an agent? How'd you get a publish? Like, how did it all happen? Yeah, so I didn't know anyone in publishing. Uh, I would go to readings. I was living in St. Mark's Place, just a couple blocks away. Um, and I, uh, I remember I finished this, I, I mean, speaking of cliches, I wrote a lot of that book at the Chelsea Hotel. Back when it was before it had been read, it's just been redone and reopened. Have you, I haven't. I like to. I've been to it. I haven't. Reopen it. It I haven't cool. been either. Right, we'll, but we'll get a drink there. Sometime. The um, the old Chelsea was a mess, and yeah. uh, it it kind of it was way past its glory days. And you could get a room if you the, the the manager Stanley, if you went up and said you were a writer or a painter, he would give you a room to go do it for two hundred and fifty bucks a month or something. And uh, so I wrote a bunch of that book there, and I finished it. And I looked around, I'm like, okay, well, how now, how do I get it published? And um, this was back in the day when you actually, you know, sent manuscripts out to publishers. Right. Uh, this was like 2005, I think. And um, I remember I had, I knew where the young agents were, got drinks once a month. And it was a place called Three of Cups right up on, I think, First Avenue. Maybe. I remember that place, yeah. And uh, so I went down there. This is exactly how you shouldn't do it, by the way. But I went down there with a big manuscript that was like 600 <laughs> pages, a book about the worst book you can write, a book about a memoir about how to become a writer in New York. Just the, if I had known better, I wouldn't have written it because it's exactly the book publishers don't want. Right. So, and I said, and there they all were this smart group of, you know, beautiful people with great glasses sitting in a corner drinking. And I was like, well, shit, now what? And I just sat at the bar with this fucking just, box of a book and sat there and I'm like, this is so dumb. What am I doing? And this young woman came up and was ordering a drink next to me. And I was like hyperventilating. I think I was just having a complete panic attack. And she said, what, what are you, what's your problem? What are you doing? And I'm like, are you an agent? Like I have this book, but she's like, yeah, I'm a young agent. And I'm like, well, I have this book. And I just spilled it all out. And to get away from me, she was just like, okay, I'll, I'll just send it, drop it off in the morning at my agency on spring street and I'll read it. I got to warn you, it's going to be like a month. I'm inundated, blah, blah, blah. 
And so I dropped it off in the morning. And two days later, she called me. Uh-huh. It's the call that you dream of getting. She's like, have you talked to any other agents? Oh, my gosh. Please, like, come down. Can I take you to lunch? And, like, that's how it happened. Is she, she still your agent? No, but she was for American Subversive as well. And then I okay. ended up switching. But, uh, yeah, that's how it All happened. Right, so, so, so you do that. It gets attention, right? Because even it, it you yeah. still rather have USA Today fact-checking it and writing about it than not, right? Of course. Um, when so American subversive is well, I can tell a story you can tell, but but as as I remember and I read it a while ago now, but it's a story kind of about eco terrorism. It's a story about climate change, but kind of really early on before people were really talking about it in the way we do now. Um, and then ultimately, and without giving away too much of the plot, um, the their main target is sort of a fictional version of Fox News. And it takes place literally like on Sixth Avenue here in Manhattan. Because I'm partly thinking like, wow, because like, you know I been in the Fox News building plenty of times in my life when I'd read the book yeah. and, and an actual act of terrorism occurs. Um, when did you start writing that? And like what, you know, it, in a weird way, Trump, uh, really where climate's gone, succession, all these things have kind of validated where your head was 15 years ago. So wh- why did you start thinking about it before everyone else? So I, so after uh, I wasn't that um, when the memoir came out, uh, you know, you go on tour and I just wasn't super comfortable talking about myself and my family and the stuff that was in the book. And very quickly, I was like, OK, I need to pivot to novel writing like I'm not, you know, the book's kind of funny, but it's not David Sedaris. I'm not going to write memoir after memoir after memoir. And so it became very clear that I, I, I wanted to be a novelist at that point. And. I also want to write, and this helps me so much in my writing, and I think I'm reading Bradley's book right now, and uh, we we're just talking about it, and I think you probably have the same thing. I want to write about what interests me in the world and what bothers me in the world and the questions that I have that I don't necessarily have answers to, but that I want to explore and can explore for two or three or four years or however long it takes to write a novel. And that American Subversive was very much that. And the question that bothered me was, how does an individual make a difference in a world that has moved past individual kind of um, an individual's ability to make a difference, right? Like it, it, we're way past the weather underground. We're way past all of these kind of uh, one person s- taking a stand almost. And if they are, there's something attached to it. You know, they're doing it for a, a more nefarious reasons than they should be. Yeah. And so in American Subversive, uh, a young woman's brother dies in... Iraq and she doesn't know how and it's just it's a death in a vacuum she doesn't know how to react and what she can do about it and so she joins this uh, group that uh, turns out to become more and more radical than she thought and in some ways mirror the old uh, SDS and weather underground yep, yep. of the of the 60s and 70s and um, through that story and then the other part of the book is a journalist who finds out about the actions she's doing and starts to and he's a kind of gawker-esque like over everything New York journalist who actually latches onto a real story for the first time, and how these two very different parts of the same generation, a woman who cares too much about the world and a guy who doesn't care about shit, how they come to encapsulate like a certain era. Yeah. And um, so what helped me write that book was a very kind of broad just um, idea that I think that interested me so much, I knew it could carry me through through several years of of writing. And then you come up, of course, with characters and plot that makes sense. But still, behind that was that overarching question that uh, bothered me so much. And and ultimately, 
were you surprised or not? Were you the most or least surprised person to see the things that you had been writing about in this novel start to play out in real life in all these different ways? Um, I was not surprised at all. <laughs> yeah. um, I've always been interested in uh, radicalism just because of we live in such a homogenous society, right? What causes somebody to go out on the edge right now with the stuff that's going on in Atlanta with that police city in the woods? Like, yeah. It's basically what I wrote about 10 years ago. Yeah. Just, but it, what makes that so interesting is that it so rarely happens now, you know? Um, and I, I did kind of foresee, I mean, you know, even back then Fox was doing their Foxy things and uh, there were two versions of, of the world that you could kind of latch onto. Um, but that was fascinating to me that uh, how, if you're coming up into that world and, you know, my characters were in their twenties and just kind of finding this larger life around you, how do you react and how do you, how do you do some, do something that matters in that right. world? Do you watch succession? Uh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how do you feel about ATN and their portrayal compared to your portrayal? Uh, I mean, it's pretty similar. Like, yeah. I think I had something I that was, so yeah. you know, I had to be a little careful not to, you know, it couldn't be Fox exactly. But, uh, you know, I, I'm always wondering about how they're doing with, with their legal situation with that as well. Yeah. I mean, you would know more about that than I would. But like, uh, it, it, you know, so clearly my in my book, it was Fox and so clearly. Uh, it, Did you happen to watch on Sunday night? I, I, I haven't. I'm a little bit behind. Got it. Because the funny thing was, it, it, uh, I don't think you're anything in a way saying this. There's a, a new business that they launched called Living Plus that's sort of supposed to be this sort of farce about like senior living and technology and all this stuff. And then yesterday I'm sitting in an investment committee and someone puts up the deck and it's effectively Living Plus. And I'm like, holy shit, like life in reality. Like yeah. I'm, I'm interviewing David tomorrow. Here's someone pitching me the same thing that was on Succession the night yeah. before uh, by the company that owns Fox. So uh, it's funny how it all comes around. Mm -hmm. So when did you start writing Kings County? Um, so after that, so that was American Subversive was definitely my political book. And I felt like I explored that as much as I wanted to. Uh, and then I wanted to switch gears and I wanted to uh, write a much more character driven, yeah. almost not a quieter story, but a deeper story that wasn't quite yeah. as plotty. It, uh, with that said, just yeah. to, to the listen, it moves. I mean, I, yeah. I have to say, like, I devoured it. So it's not if you think, oh, I don't want books that are too slow, like, despite what David is saying about his own book right now, yeah. it's not an issue. Uh, well, I got, I was listening to Bradley's podcast when he announced the other day that all his characters sounded the same in this book. And I'm like, I do that too. I just undercut my own work all the yeah, time. All the time. Yeah. Um, your characters all don't sound the same, by the way. Thank you. Yes. Um, so uh, I came up with this edgy love story. I wanted to write a love story. And I'm always interested, getting back to writing about New York, one of the great themes of my, my work again and again and again, even though I can't really, I don't really plan it this way, is the New York origin story. What makes a person move to New York City when their neighbor or their brother or whoever it is doesn't, right? Whether it's, you know, LA or Chicago or New York, there's something about the people that move here, uh, whether it's from New Jersey or whether it's from Iowa, um, that I always think makes them special and interesting. And and I try to capture that in my work. And uh, this, this story, Kings County, it's about a young woman who moves to uh, from Cape Canaveral, Florida. She grew up kind of in a trailer park there, watching rockets kind of you know launch into the sky in the space shuttle. And she's dreaming of a larger world all the time. But she's a cool kid, and she loves music, and she's like uh, always kind of hip to the scene as much as such as the scene was in Florida in the year 2000. But she moves up here. She takes a bus up, and she lands in Williamsburg at the exact time 
that um, indie music is taking off and Williamsburg is still cheap to live in. And all of these bands that subsequently became world famous, like The Strokes and Interpol and Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and TV on the radio, were all living within five blocks of each other yeah. in Williamsburg and sleeping together and having sex together and, and uh, you know, playing music together. And it was this, like, maybe the last kind of hot house of creative energy that geographically was in the same place. I mean, it happened in Detroit in the 80s. It happened maybe in Laurel Canyon in the 70s in L.A., but right. it rarely happens and now may never happen again. Because London in the late 60s. Yes, like, London in the late 60s. Um, Utopia Avenue by David Mitchell? I did. Yeah, yeah. he kind of captures that. Program. I love that book. I yeah. read it during COVID when it came out, yeah. And, um, you know, now that the internet has kind of taken over, I don't know if we'll ever have a geographic kind of uh, artistic um, place like that, uh, music-wise. Yeah. But that was the last of them. And I wasn't in that world. Like, I don't have any musical talent. And I was living in Manhattan. But I would go over there and I'd be like, my God, if I could ever write about this someday. Because it's just the energy and the air and the talent that was there. And the way they find it's it's funny you're saying. So I was thinking about this not that long ago, which is, in all other forms of sort of art and commerce where people are performing at that super high level, it's kind of a meritocracy system where like, you know, baseball, right? Mm-hmm. You have literally they're scouted from all over the planet and the, and through a very defined system, these people are brought together to play on a team, right? Whereas like the bands, it's just like, oh, you know, uh, Jimmy Page had like an extra amp and Robert Plant needed one. And yep. all of a sudden there you have Led Zeppelin, yep. right? Like, why do you think this is music? The only kind of art where that happens that way? I, uh, yes, I think so. I think just the nature of a band and everyone coming and going and, uh, it, it is so random. And, and I think talent when it kind of comes together and explodes as a, as a, um, it doesn't last either, right? So uh, you have a kind of a specific moment where the people are in the same room and, you know, how many bands actually stay together more than a couple of years? Like, not that many, right? Unless you're really famous and then they're probably miserable most of the time. Yeah, touring um, when they're 80 just yeah, to make ex- money. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so um, it, it, it that scene interested me. And so the main character is this woman who moves up there and be, she, she becomes a... Um, a manager at a really small but influential label and she just her bands love her and she's the cool kid of Williamsburg and then she falls for a guy who's completely the opposite who moves here from a mill town in Massachusetts who doesn't have the confidence but has this love for literature that he got from the library the town library there in Lawrence Massachusetts and they somehow meet together and the book is about attraction and what makes two people kind of come together and what drives them apart and and how difficult is it to have a true love in a city like this where we have temptation and every everywhere we go and uh and so that love affair that character like deep deep character dive is what i wanted to do but i also because i'm this kind of writer too need to have a book move and i need to have a plot i need to like you know i'm not a flowery writer who can sit around you know like lydia davis somewhere or someone like that and just write kind of for the sake of writing and she does it brilliantly but yeah, like sure. uh i want things to move but i also want uh there to be a deeper aspect to my books and so king's county was kind of uh hopefully both of those things and uh also very very much a new york book yeah of the right it captured you know that kind of brooklyn in in the 2010s you know like, yeah. that the vibe that made brooklyn feel special yeah. right even if even if the Earlier, like it, it captured that in a way that felt very, and that's why it was one of the finals for the Gotham Book Prize that year because it was like, wow, this really this gets the zeitgeist. And it's set in because I kind of didn't get a formal writing education. I do these things that you're pro- probably not supposed to do. It's set in 2011 when that scene is just about over, when hip hop is yeah. kind of taking over and the indie music's dying a bit. 
And uh, so the, the, that's what that's what the the main present story is. But it has these flashbacks that are almost as long as the regular chapters, which are not supposed to do. Uh, about these two characters coming up and uh, and you know in time and meet and coming up to 2011. And so I structured this book in the past as much as the present, and it kind of like was interesting to me in that way, as I in a, in a way that I could develop these characters so much that you just can't, hopefully care about them to the point where when they make bad decisions, you're just you know you're banging your head on the wall and be like, don't don't do that, don't do that, you know. Um, so the the main main character, I mean, I, something kind of multiple in, in your books, but like, but the main main character of both books are young women. Um, how is that writing in the voice of someone different gender? And now at this point, I don't, we'll talk about your your novel in a minute. But like, you know, you're no longer you know, you're I don't know how you're my age. I'm guessing so. Yeah. You know, not young anymore. Right? We're, we're very young. Brad. Yeah, exactly. Um, what 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 made you choose to do that? And and was it harder or not hard? Harder thought, easier than they thought? I thought so. I've gotten that question a couple of times. It's something I've never thought about until people started raising it. Like you've had two books in a row where the main characters are, are women. One in my one in their twenties. One in their mid thirties. I think it comes from writing a memoir. Uh, I, after that memoir, never wanted to write something that was, or a character that was me again. And I yeah. just, obviously one way to do it is to change the gender. Uh, but even the male characters, like the male characters in um, uh, Kings County, you know, one is from a mill town in Massachusetts, which I, I am not. One is a, a, a financier, which I am not. And like there, that to me is interesting. and. And one of the best things about being a writer, diving into other worlds that you're, that is not your world. Yeah. And that's what keeps, sustains me uh, in, in, in writing for year after year after year. That, uh, and obviously the most, you know, writing from a woman's perspective is, is uh, a great way of doing that. Of course, you have to be careful in this day and age, especially that you're not, you know, uh, getting in over your head and uh, writing from perspectives you shouldn't be writing from or that other people would be better uh, writing about. But like you also, you know, it's fiction. You have, you should have an allowance to like tell a story. And the, you know, the last thing you want to do is tell a story of exact, you know, from exactly the perspective of, of my life. That doesn't right. interest me. It's funny. I see so the, the, the main character of my books, my name Lisa Lim and same thing, kind of a young woman in her early thirties. And, I was a little, but she wasn't even the main character when I started. And the main character is this other guy, Nick Denavito, who starts off based on me and then uh, hopefully is a much worse person than I am in the real world, though some people might dispute that. Um, and then my editor, who's a woman, um, it was interesting in getting her comments and feedback because I was sort of torn between the like, okay, you clearly know better than I do because this is your gender and you do this for a living. And then there are also times where I'm like, no, I don't think this is right for this character. How do you decide when to push back and when not, when you don't feel as confident because it's not your perspective in the first place? Um, I think editors are much broader minded than they are uh, kind of depicted these days. I think that the argument um, about appropriation and especially in fiction is a bit more like in the press than it actually is if you're working with an editor at a publishing house they want you to be writing from different perspectives like uh yeah sometimes um especially a, a man writing a female character i do get uh a pushback from um my editor uh but it's mostly from my writer friends so i'll finish a draft and i'm not somebody who like uh, when I finish a first draft, I don't want the world to read it yet. I, I have to do draft after draft after draft, and I want it to sound 
uh, almost like a publishable book when I have my reader friends read it or my writer friends read it. Uh, but I remember I was unsure. Um, there's a, a kind of an assault scene in the middle of Kings County and yep. that gets into even hotter water when a man is writing a, about a sexual yeah. assault. And I had a, a, a female friend of mine who's one of my best friends, who's a, a, a really great novelist write it and read it because I was very worried that I, I, I was in a bit of foreign territory and how, and was I writing this well? And I remember she took me out to the old coffee shop on union score and we sat there and she goes, David, you've, it's not there. You fucked it up a bit. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, the assault is fine, but you are, have not captured at all what, how a woman afterwards deals with this and the process of how it affects the rest of her life for years after. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't, like of course. And I I like went back to square one with that and rewrote it on almost the rest of the book. It focuses on what happened, how she's dealt with what happened to her in her younger life that I had entirely missed as a, as a man writing writing about a woman. And so that's the stuff that like, you you don't have to get it right the first time, but you have to get it right be, before the book comes out. And um, you don't necessarily have to work with an editor. You but you should have somebody reading uh, sensitive stuff like you should have somebody reading your book anyway. But like especially sensitive stuff like that, somebody's going to know a bit more than you. So the new book, uh, as we were just chatting before the episode, is not in New York City. It's not in the present day. Tell us about it and what made you choose to take such a different direction. Yeah, I've always loved, and I think when Bradley and I first met, uh, I think he has, you have this too, um, this love for New York that is just an endlessly, I, I never get sick of the city. I've lived yep. here since 1996, and uh, I just get energy from it every day still. Um, that said, I feel like I've now written three books that are very, very New York-y, um, and I wanted to shift gears. One of my uh, definitions of being, we are in the studio right now and it's hailing it's outside pouring. and it's beautiful. It's weird and beautiful, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the end. It's the beginning of May. Orchard Street can definitely use the classic <laughs> once in a while. Right. So. Um, one of the, my definitions of what a literary author is, is somebody who does something different with every book or tries to do something different. Yep. And, uh, it, it, it's kind of natural for me in that I like so many different things in the world that I like writing about different stuff. Uh, so I have uh, found this story. I, I was born in Paris and I've, got, I've gone back to France quite a bit. Um, and I found this uh, in, incredible story that happened at the end of uh, World War II uh, that starts with a, a train robbery. And uh, my book follows uh, this missing money that was actually missing in the real world um, through uh, uh, years and even decades. Um, and it it's focuses on like what what happens when a society collapses and you know it obviously has shades on on what's happening today a bit but like what do you do when everything you've known completely just disappears and how do you rebuild a life and rebuild a family and and just uh, find out who you are as a human after events you can't even imagine happening happening and so it is a very different kind of book uh, I'm uh, historical fiction is much tougher than writing about the worlds you know. Yeah, I mean, you must have to do just incredible. Amount of so research, I've been to right? France twice in the last six months. Um, and, and are you going to just, not, everything's probably not online, right? Do you have to go to archives? No, I stuff? went to like this old train station in the middle of nowhere where the robbery actually happened. And just uh, it, it's so interesting. And every author tackles it very different ways. You can be, have someone like Amor Tolls who just every single thread of a carpet like he writes about in it and just encompasses you in an entire world. Or you can have someone like Emily St. John Mandel, who wrote Station Eleven, who's, who when she writes about the future or the past, uh, she just expects the reader to kind of like 
the reader doesn't have to know every single thing. And she just focuses on what her characters are doing yep. without describing in, intensely really well. the world as well. Yeah. So you can do it both ways. Uh, I'm, I think somewhere in the middle, um, but uh, it, it's, that's the cool thing about being a writer. Like you're in charge of how you describe your worlds. When does it come out? Uh, oh my God. I'm still uh, very much in the middle of it. So uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see a couple of years. Cool. Um, yeah. All right. How do people follow you generally get in touch with you? Uh, stuff? So uh, my name is David Goodwillie. My last name is Goodwillie. You can't really forget that. Uh, w I L L I E on Instagram um, or my website, David Goodwillie.com. Um, and I have an email on there and uh, yeah. Thank you so cool. much for having me. Thanks for having us. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure. And I can't wait uh, for the world to read Bradley's book. It's yeah, fantastic I, too. Very Even though he's we'll very, he's very it. negative about it himself. It's fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm skeptical <laughs> of myself here, but uh, anyway, David, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks.